0: Go to CloudOptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's CloudOptimizer.com. Before I tell you the story of Brandon Flood and how he became the most unlikely secretary of the Board of Pardons ever appointed in Pennsylvania, just meet him. I've heard you call yourself Urkel Brandon.
1: <laughs> yeah, the two personas. So it's the uh, the regular Brandon who... Uh, can be profane and has his natural foibles. And then it's uh, Urkel Brandon.
0: You remember Urkel, right? From that 90s sitcom, Family Matters. The nerd, the guy with glasses and suspenders. You wear a bow tie like every day, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, ironically, every day except Sunday, the day where I should probably have a bow tie on.
0: For years, these bow ties helped Brandon keep a secret.
1: People usually perceive that uh, my true background is completely different than than what it is.
0: The secret was Brandon's rap sheet, the decade he spent in prison for selling drugs and carrying guns. When Brandon talks about having two personas, he doesn't just mean on-the-clock Brandon and off-the-clock Brandon. He's talking about the tension between the mild-mannered bureaucrat he is now and the fiery teenager he was before. It's a side of himself he's only just started to talk about, even though he's been in state government for nearly a decade.
1: I want to be judged based on the quality of my work, the content, and my character. Uh, we all harbor our own uh, biases. You know, so when you hear something uh, that about someone that completely blows your socks off or causes you to to view them through a different lens, uh, you you tend to treat them differently. So the the objective was always to get as deep in the state government uh, before I I revealed my story.
0: Now, this pardoned ex-con has become the secretary of the Board of Pardons in his home state, the face of clemency in Pennsylvania. I wanted to know how Brandon got where he is today and whether a former inmate it's gonna run this board differently. I'm Mary Harris, you're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24 seven US-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person, Anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. How did a nice guy like you end up wrapped up in the justice system anyway?
1: Uh, yeah, I used to get that even when I was, uh... Even the people that I used to sell drugs to, like in the throes of their addiction, would be like on multiple occasions. Like, why why are you out here? You know, I don't know what it was. And I would take offense to that because i was like, well, I'm just as good as any other criminal out here, you know, or deserving. to You know, I think it had to do with the fact that I looked at what my dad, he did everything right and went to school and college educated, served this country. And... It just felt like uh you know, he, he came up short in my eyes. It seemed like he was struggling economically for me and my sisters, and and it almost felt like, so if I do everything right, this is what you know lies ahead for me uh, and in hindsight, I see the value of it, but back then, I just used to be like, "So you want me to go to college and do this and do that?" It
0: sounds like you were a little bit of a tough guy too, like when <laughs> when the police chief came to your school, you got into a tussle with him.
1: I've always been one to uh, to question authority. and at the time what precipitated that whole altercation was so the teacher had asked me to take my jacket off in my classroom. She asked me to take my jacket off and there was a young lady in the class who had the jacket on as well. And I said, well, why doesn't you know, why doesn't she have to take her jacket off at the time, which I found out later. she was pregnant, so she was allowing the, the young lady to conceal her pregnancy. Uh, but yeah, you know I felt that, that there was disparate treatment, so I balked at taking it off police officer came in. Uh, the police officer uh, ratcheted up the whole situation because he literally, like, tried to rip the jacket off of me. And all I did was, you know, just resist. There wasn't any, uh, any blows exchanged or anything. I think they charged me with, like, disorderly conduct.
0: I like this story because it shows that Brandon had a sense of what was fair and what wasn't from a young age. But he didn't necessarily know right from wrong. That disorderly conduct charge marked a kind of beginning for Brandon's criminal career. He started selling pot, and then he sold crack cocaine. He began carrying an unregistered gun around with him. He got shot. Eventually, he was sent to prison.
1: Literally when I was in the bullpen, meaning once they took me downtown and they were processing me for booking, at that time, I kind of knew about sentencing guidelines. I knew about the facts of my crime. So I knew I was pretty accurate at, at forecasting how much time I would have to serve. So This
0: was a weapons offense, right? Just been... This was a
1: weapons and a crack in possession with intent to deliver a, a half an ounce of crack cocaine. And at the time, it can also constitute a federal offense. So I literally sat in that bullpen. I said, you know what? I would be perfectly fine with taking a 5 to 10 in state prison or eight years in the federal system, and what I will do with this time, I'm going to network to become a better drug dealer, meaning I'm going to network with people, obviously, especially federally. You have a lot of folks that are major drug traffickers, and that was, that was my resolve in that, that bullpen. I said, that's what I'm gonna do. Sounds uh, like going
0: to criminal college.
1: Right, and, and I fully intended to, uh, to utilize that opportunity.
0: Instead, Brandon got sent to a state prison that focused on therapeutic community. And that's where things really started to change for him.
1: They were very keen on having community-based programs uh, and community-based organizations come in that prison and engage the prison population. So you had and even academic institutions as well. So you had Drexel, you had Temple they would have Pan-African studies, they would have uh, debate courses, they would have public speaking classes, they would have writing workshops. So, yeah, for me, that 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 kind of set the tone for me. And, and believe it or not, some of the folks that were sentenced to, to life in prison, some of the lifers that were at that prison, they were very encouraging. You know, it's one thing when you hear one or two people say something like, hey, you know, you did a great job. But when you constantly hear people say, hey, listen, when you get out, you better do this. You better do that." Like I, I, on my way here, I stopped at a family dollar and um, i seen a guy who I was incarcerated with. And he said, you know, he congratulated me and he said, yeah, you know, uh, you said you were going to go out and, and change your life. He was like, you did. He's like, you know, at some point, uh, I guess I'll do the same, you know, because he's still engaged in that criminal activity. So, yeah, that, that encouragement for me, uh, I felt like I owed uh I owe the debt to to those lifers as well, too. You know, here it is. I have an opportunity to be released and really start over where some guys aren't coming home uh, ever.
0: Once Brandon was released from prison, he made good on his promise to those lifers. He got an internship at the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, worked his way up the ladder. And then he started thinking about clemency.
1: You know, I've been really politically engaged. I've worked on a number of campaigns uh, over the years as well. So I usually would get the question, hey, why why aren't you running for anything? Or I would have people reach out and say, hey, are you interested in city council or school board? And I would always say, ah, no, I'm too busy because, you know, constitutionally, that's one of the disqualifications uh, for anyone that has a, uh, a conviction that is uh, considered infamous.
0: So you couldn't run for office. Can you tick off some of the things that you couldn't do because you'd been formally incarcerated?
1: Yes, absolutely. So what clemency provides, it enables you to run for public office. It enables you to also serve in the military. Uh, it enables you to travel internationally. It enables you to uh, lawfully purchase and own a firearm. And it also enables you to serve on a jury. Those are the primary civil rights that are restored to anyone that does receive executive clemency.
0: The first time Brandon applied for a pardon, he got rejected. He wrote down a docket number wrong. Clerical error. Eventually, he rented out a hotel room just to fill out his application in peace, make sure all the details were right.
1: So my application was pretty thick. It was, uh, and you'll probably enjoy this story. It was so thick that when I brought it to the Board of Pardons office, they had a window. It was a glass window that you can you usually slide it through. They, they had to open the door to get mine because it would not fit through that slot. So,
0: How many years did it take to go from being incarcerated to serving as the secretary of the Clemency
1: Board? About nine, a little less than nine years. I guess technically I was released from prison in twenty February of 2010. I began uh, working for the legislature in June. So June of 2010 until April 1st of uh, 2019.
0: When you're considering a prisoner for a pardon, I wonder how you might be looking at their application differently than the people mm-hmm. that you're serving with. What do you see there?
1: Well, certainly... Uh, You know, because I get a lot, you know, since the announcement, obviously, uh, you know, I've been uh, inundated with emails and inboxes about people looking to learn more about the clemency process or folks saying, hey, uh, you know, I need a pardon.
0: That must be overwhelming.
1: Uh, Yeah, it it is. It is. But but uh, by the same token, I understand. uh, I'm blessed to be in this position Uh, when it comes to an executive clemency board. I believe I'm the first ex-offender to ever occupy the position as uh, their, their chief administrator. There's a lot of people, I think, dwelling in the shadows uh, that are, have similar backgrounds than myself. Um, so there's been a number of people that have reached out to me and said, hey, listen, uh, I think your story is inspirational. And, and, and I actually have a conviction from 20 years ago that you know I never thought about trying to get pardon. Uh, can you help me with the process? So there's been a lot of unlikely, unsuspecting people. Uh, and these are people who are who are working in state government, doing well for themselves. And they said that, you know, part of the reason that they're seeking this is because they feel like they they reached their ceiling, their professional ceiling.
0: Tell me a little bit about Pennsylvania and how Pennsylvania has been changing in terms of criminal justice over the last decade, especially when it comes to pardons, because Pennsylvania has this history of really clamping down on clemency for people who are incarcerated and people once they get out, right? The the process was just incredibly complicated.
1: Correct. The opioid abuse crisis has a lot to do with this big push for criminal justice reform, especially from conservatives uh, joining the fight. Um, And they can see it in their own district. So I think they have a greater degree of empathy now. And it's not at one point in time it was. Your uh, textbook criminal was... uh, Someone who lived in the inner cities and certainly was either black or brown, but certainly that, that stereotype is uh, has been dispelled.
0: What you're saying is that the face of who's incarcerated is changing.
1: Absolutely. Uh, women, for that matter, too. More women are being incarcerated as well now. So certainly having, uh, and as you've seen in Pennsylvania, that dynamic within the legislature, more uh, historic number of women have been elected to office as well. So we have now we, the, the face of our policymakers are changing as well.
0: That's interesting, because you're a black man, and you're painting this picture where you're saying there are more people of color in power, but then at the same time, there are more white people in the criminal justice system imprisoned, and that's created this unique opportunity to change how we think about incarceration and change how we think about what happens afterwards.
1: Right. There still may be disparities in terms of sentencing. So when you're talking about a a black defendant and a white defendant charged with the same exact crime, the same criminal history or the lack thereof, there may be disparate outcomes in terms of sentencing. But certainly in terms of who's entering that criminal justice system, who's occupying these beds, particularly in our local county jail, certainly the face of that inmate population is changing.
0: You know, you mentioned that you ran into someone you were incarcerated with just on the way in this morning.
1: Right. How often does that happen? Oh, quite a bit. I'm very much still very active in the city. I, I go into the most seedy, seedyest places in Harrisburg with a three piece suit on and a bow tie. And usually, that's a that's a conversation starter for people that don't know me. It's like, hey, what are you doing here? Or what's you know what do you do? So yeah, I I encounter that quite quite often. And you know, the one thing that I charge, just like I told the the young man this morning, he said, well, at some point, you know, I'll get my life together. So I'm like, All right, well, whenever you're ready for that, you know. Uh, I'm here.
0: I just wonder if you leave those interactions feeling optimistic or pessimistic.
1: Uh I mean at the end of the day, I mean I can kind of weed out who's serious about it I really want to change my life or I really wanna, you know, put in for a part and like I created this boilerplate response. So instead of just saying, hey, here's the application and give it back to me. No, what I'm gonna do is I want you to to, to take a very intimate and in-depth look at how the process works, what factors are considered how long this process is going to take, what it entails. And then if you, if you circle back with me, then I know you're serious. So I'm kind of weeding out the ones that are just, you know, reaching out, uh, saying that they, they want to, uh, to engage in this process. So Like,
0: hey, I knew you.
1: Right. And then I tell them to look at this, too. Despite no matter how efficient we make the process and how, how much we're able to lessen the turnaround time, you should look at this as a long-term investment. Clemency should be looked at as a long term investment because most of the times, I mean, I I didn't get into crime overnight. You know, this was something that took a while for me to to really immerse myself in and then ultimately be able to extricate myself from. So pardons is is, is, a, is a truly a, a restart. So for something where you can actually restart your life uh, and be rest- fully restored all your, your civil rights, uh, that's something that should be looked at as an investment.
0: Brandon, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'm more than uh, happy to join you again in the future. So uh, you know how to reach me.
0: Brandon Flood is the secretary of the Pennsylvania State Board of Pardons. All right, you've been listening to What Next? Hosted by me, Mary Harris. My producers are the fantastic Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you get bored at work tomorrow, pop on over to Twitter. You can follow me at Mary's Desk. And if you want to meet me in person, this is possible. I would love to meet you. We're going to be doing a live show on June 8th in New York City. Check it out and buy your tickets at Slate.com slash SlateDay2019. That's Slate.com slash SlateDay2019. Talk to you tomorrow.
1: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.